not praise him enough. As we all stand here forgiven, recognizing it was or it is his grace that we are living. Bless his holy name. We find ourselves this morning just a couple of weeks away from a year anniversary of the pandemic. We found ourselves still puzzled, but still believing the promise and advocating the prayer that God is our refuge. God is a very present help in the time of trouble. Yes, he is our refuge. Yes, he is the one that we have fled to. Yes, he's the one that's been able to deliver us from all of the afflictions that have surrounded us. So on this Palm Sunday, we want to give thanks to God and to recount his kindness toward us. And we want to do that this morning by looking at a very special psalm. I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 46 this morning. That's Psalm 46 in your Bible. And if you found the sacred scripture, would you please acknowledge it by saying, praise his holy name. And we ask that you would stand for the reading of God's inerrant, infallible word, Psalm 46. The word of God says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. You may be seated. Our Bible teaches us that the 46th Psalm follows thematically from the 45th song because it speaks of the protection of those who are blessed who are in Christ Jesus. It shows us that we have one and only one struggle that should ultimately concern us, those of us who are in Christ, and that one sacred refuge that we can all run to because we're dealing with the same struggle is God, for God is our refuge. God helps us through our trials and our tribulations. God helps us through our tragedies and our tears. God helps us and he takes our troubles and he turns them into blessings. God is a very pleasant help in the time of trouble. He's our refuge. He is our strength. He is our strong tower in every trial and tribulation. He becomes our refuge the moment we call upon him. Those of us who dwell in faith because 
of our love and faith in Christ Jesus, we know that every difficulty that we might deal with, God's providence finds a way to rectify it. That river of his spirit that flows to the city of God, we see God's spirit administering according to his heavenly law, administering according to the gifts of the spirit, administering according to the fruits of his grace. God provides for each and every one of us a sustaining support, a sacred serenity, and a smoothing solace for all who belong to him. And yes, even in the times of darkness as we have been dealing with in this pandemic, it is God that allows his light to illuminate our lives like never before through his everlasting life of Jesus Christ. Just as the resurrection of Jesus brings a new dawning over the power of sin and suffering, we also receive grace from God. So any creature, any so-called God, other than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, does not have the power to conquer the kingdom of sin. So let us all, this morning, draw near to him, and let us marvel at his majesty and power, recognizing that God is sovereign over the enemies of our peace. God is even using their own weapons against them, the wicked weapons of their hearts. And God equips us with new weapons, weapons of grace, weapons of faith, weapons of prayer. The Lord alone is God, and we can know him as we hear his still, small voice now and forever. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we celebrate this Palm Sunday, let us not forget the great sacrifice which was about to be played out on this stage called Earth. Your Son and our Savior, Christ Jesus, over 2,000 years ago entered into this last Passion Week with only one thing on his mind. He wanted to give you glory. He said these words, O oh Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Today, as we reflect on all the promises which are now ours, because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus our Lord, we give you, O oh God, honor, glory, praise for all the things that you have done and for what you have yet to perform. We trust you, and we need you, Lord, now more than ever. Bless us today. It is in Jesus' name that we pray and ask all of this. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. And one more time for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Bless his holy name. It is God who is our refuge. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. Psalm 45 is really celebrating. It's the love song of this royal wedding. And it's kind of impossible to know exactly which king in David's line the song was first composed for. But it really doesn't matter after you look at 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16, because you see here that it's speaking of the Christ who is to come. 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16 says this, From the time that I appointed judges over my people, Israel, and I have given you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come 
from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of man, with the stripes of the sons of man, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Psalm 45 and Psalm 46 are messianic. And when we see in Psalm 45, verses 6 through 7, when the, it begins with these words, Your throne, O God, is speaking of the Davidic king to come, which is Christ Jesus, the one that is superior to all other kings. He's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. So here we get a glimpse in Psalm 46. We get a glimpse of the disturbances that have happened before, a glimpse of the rising developments of those in Psalm 45 that were opposing the true believers of God. We see in that psalm the persecuted church and those who have been protected by their what? Faith and hope in God, even though the waves of this world were crashing all around them. They learned, as we will learn this morning, that God is our refuge. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. God is our barricade. He keeps us safe from all the tribulations of life. He is our refuge, and he is our strength. So what do we know because of this, Pastor? Because God is our refuge and strength, we should not flee. We should not be afraid. We should not fear. We should not flounder because we have a way out in him and a way out through him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says it this way. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. My friends, we are never alone. God is always there. And temptation is not unique to us. It's common to all men and all women. All those who seek a godly life, did not Paul tell us, will be tempted and persecuted. But God knows, you see, he knows our true ability. He knows our true ability to bear the weight of temptation and sin. And he will not allow us to be tempted past the point unless he gives us more strength for the journey. He will open a door of escape through restrength because he is our refuge and he has the power to restrength our actions. He is the one that can and will deliver us, not by our own willpower, but by the endurance he gives us. But the one thing that we should flee is sin. We must be found always seeking a refuge from evil. We must be found running to our God. We must do what God tells us to do and not do the things that this evil world suggests to us. So, Pastor, how does this look? Well, do not trust in princes. Do not trust in wealth. Do not be proud of your own bodily strength. Do not trust or pursue the splendor of human glory. Well, why? Because none of these things can save us. They're all transient. They're all temporary. They're all transitory. 
None of them are permanent. There is only one safe haven, only one safe harbor, only one safe shelter, only one safe sanctuary and refuge, and that is God. God is the true aid for us. He is our righteousness. He's equipped with everything that we need whenever we're being oppressed. He is our helper in the time of trouble. He is our ally in an unbelieving world. He sends his ministering angels out to us day in and day out. And you know, we never have to look too far for God because we know that he is always present in our tribulation. Look at what it says here in the first verse. It says, he is a very present help in the time of trouble. Now, I hope you have recognized by now, if you've been a Christian more than 10, 15 minutes, that God doesn't prevent tribulations from coming into our lives. But he's always on hand when they come. He uses them to make us tried and tested. We've heard it before. A faith which is not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. He provides great encouragement. He assists us through the pain of our tribulations. He provides us with the strength. He's a very present help in the time of trouble. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 through 21 says it this way as it gives a glorious benediction here. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Just stop right there. Even as we pray to God for deliverance, even as we pray to God for provision, God is able to answer our prayer beyond our ability to pray for ourselves. Beyond what we can ask or think. He knows exactly what we need. It goes on here, it says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is our refuge, and in him we find strength. It's very easy for us sometimes to slip in and try to find comfort and refuge in other things, other things that will weaken us instead of granting us more strength. But we should always not run to those things, but run to God who is our refuge, who is our only strength, who is and can secure us and make our time here unshakable. It tells us here that though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, God can provide for us a refuge where we shall not be moved. Psalm 10 and 6 says it this way. He said in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all the generations. I shall not meet adversity. This is vitally important for us to hold in our heart that, yes, we're going to deal with certain things, but we will never meet adversity that's able to take over our lives because God is our refuge and our strength. Psalm 20, 7 through 9, builds up our trust and builds up our hope in a holy God. It says, some trust in chariots, and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Every time we call and cry out to the Lord when things seem to be collapsing and failing in our lives, he hears us and we have a refuge, which is God, who can do anything but fail. 
we recognize here the importance of the fact that he's a present help, not a help to come. He's a present help in the time of trouble. That means that any tribulation that we are dealing with, we should first seek refuge with God, whether that trouble concerns our income, that trouble concerns our bodily health, that trouble concerns a threat against someone that we love, our final refuge is found in God. No Christian, my friend, is strong in him or herself, but God is our refuge. He supplies our strength. Jeremiah 5.22 says this, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea and a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot prevail. They cannot pass over it. This word is repeated three times in this passage, roar, is the Hebrew word ha-ma. And it means to murmur, to growl, to cry aloud, to rage, to make noise, to be in constant turmoil, to be clamorous, to, be dis- to make you disquieted, to be troubling, to be in a constant uproar. But what does God say? I'm the one that controls the boundaries of your peace. And regardless of how things outside of me roar at you, do not fear because they cannot prevail over you because I am your clear and present help. And why should we not fear? We should not fear because he is our refuge. Look at Psalm 46 and 2. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, we still remain confident in the fact that it is God who determines what happens in our life. Christ dwells in our hearts, each and every one of our hearts, through our faith in him. When we don't have faith in Christ, we are like a boat that's on the sea being battered and tossed with every storm. But because Christ is there, he awakens. And when he awakens, he awakens our faith and there's calm again. Christ is able to speak to the stormy sea and declare to it, peace be still. Even in those times when we feel like the earth is given away and everything is in complete uproar. Everything in our lives has been totally shaken. Isn't it wonderful to know? Isn't it wonderful to have the confidence in the fact that if we belong to God, we cannot be shaken? Hebrews 12, 26 through 28 says it this way. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Stop right there because this phrase here, yet once more, indicates that our God will remove all the things that he's allowed to shake the very earth. And he only allows the things to remain that cannot be shaken because they belong to him. The verse ends when it says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. We recognize here that acceptable worship takes into account our reverence, our awe, our love, our giving glory to the one who is due glory. So, Pastor, what is acceptable worship before a holy God? 
I think Romans 12, 1 through 2 gives us a great insight to this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In Elders Rice's prayer this morning, he said it's important for us to live as a Christian every day the way we operate in church. Your spiritual worship does not happen two hours here on Sunday, but the other 162 hours of the week. And it starts with the second part of this verse, verse 2 of Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. You have to practice what we preach. Even in these times, when we feel like we've lost everything, we cannot be shaken because God is our refuge. He is the one that shakes. He is the one that moves. He is the one that has great power. Verse 3 of our text this morning says, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, at its swelling. Even though day in and day out we see this world, this sea of capitalism, we see it foam and we see it roar at the turbulence in the stock market. Even the mountains of commerce tremble and swell as they threaten to burst open and rain down despair upon us. But we do not have to be afraid. Our God is awesome. Our God reigns in heaven and on earth. Our God is able to send a river of gladness for, to his people because he is our refuge. Verse 4, look what he says there. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. You see, like a river that's divided into countless tributaries, we have a God that's able to provide us with provision even though we're in the midst of a desert. What did he say? That we would be like a tree planted by the waters and we shall not be moved, that our leaf, leaf will still be green when everybody else's is perishing. If we trust him, everything will continue to flow to us. Though the mountains shake, though the sea rage, if we stay faithful to him, we will live in his provision, in his power, in his protection because he has the ability to flood our souls, to cover our hearts, to overwhelm what overwhelms us. We have and we live in two places. Ephesians says that we are in heavenly places with Christ Jesus at the same time that we're here on earth. The Bible says that we live in the city of man, but we also live in the city of God. And we must be able to use that particular citizenship when things are rough in the city of man. We need to live in the holy habitation of God. We need to stay dug in and truly devoted to the only one that can save us. In the last year in New Life, we've been uprooted from our base of operation, but we have not been uprooted from our base of power because we still live in the holy habitation of God. 
There were even times last year we were not able to enter this building, but we were still able to enter into the presence of God. For the building is not the church. We are the church. 2 Peter 2, 4 through 6 says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to be offered as spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? Has he ever failed you? Don't back away. Don't shirk away. Don't be afraid. Yeah, be careful. Be cautious. But recognize that God has our lives in the palm of his hand. We live in a world that is almost completely secular, a world that is wholly dependent upon itself, a world that is lost and languishing for the hope that they refuse to accept that comes from Christ Jesus. We recognize that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We operate under a different law. We operate under a heavenly law. Some believe that the definition of a city is that it's it's an established community that abides by certain laws. But our laws have been handed down from the heavenly city, which is above, whose foundation and builder is God. We recognize that the eye has not seen, nor the ear heard, nor has it entered into the human heart what things God has prepared for those who love him. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.9. We can't imagine what God has prepared for those of us who love him, who trust him, who will be faithful. David said in his time, Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. I will make you an everlasting glory, a joy unto generation and generation, and there shall be no wasting nor destruction in your body, and salvation shall possess your walls. There's a fruitfulness that only we can tap into in the city of God. That's why God speaks here about a river flowing. That river is a continual preaching of the gospel. That city is those who will, the city and citizens are those that will follow the way of life, being God-fearing people who are constantly watered by the river of the gospel and the river of the truth, the preaching of truth that comes in and out of their ports. And then something else is here. If you look closely in uh, verse 4a, verse 5a, God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. Remember, every time the Bible uses in the midst, it means in the middle. God is not part of one city and cut off from the other city. God is in the midst and everything else surrounds him. He's protecting us equally from all of our foes. We can rely on this truth because we serve a God who does not adhere to social distancing. He's a very present help in the time of trouble. And because of that, we can expect support from God on every leaning side. That's why it says God is to be exalted. He's unbound. 
He's everywhere at once. And wherever he dwells, he brings peace in the midst of it. Behold, he says, I am with you. God supports us on all sides. And if we dwell in his city, no harm will come to us and we won't be shaken. The second part of this fifth verse says, God will help her when morning dawns. We are always going to receive the prompt assistance of God because God is always ready, always prepared to answer our call. What does the Bible say? He never sleeps nor slumbers, so he's always ready when the morning dawns. He's never delayed. I know he's the slowest man I've ever worked with who's always on time. But really, since he doesn't wear a watch, he's never delayed. He's always fresh. He's always abounding. And he's always on time. Even in the midst of darkness. And when the psalm speaks of the early morning dawning, you think about the darkness that comes with the early morning. God is our light, and he gives light to the hearts of those who trust him. He gives strength to those who trust him. He's a helper of those who trust him. We are illuminated by the light of his son, Christ Jesus, which gives us stability and provides us assistance even as the dawn breaks. And he gives the same measure of goodness to all. His brightness is his glory, and he illuminates each and every life that he touches. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We see in Ephesians 5.14b, Rise, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ shall enlighten you. Christ suffered in the evening according to the old law. The lamb was slain in the evening. In the evening of this world, we see the darkness that takes over our lives. Just in the last year, we see how people are moving further and further away should they, when they should be drawing closer and closer to God. Think how dark this world would be right now if Christ had never come. He is our eternal life. He has come to restore the human race to a time of innocence. He suffered and gave his blood so that our sins might be forgiven. God is our refuge. And even when we see the nations rage, we see kingdoms totter, we see also when his voice is applied, the very earth melts. You know, when you look at verse 6, we recognize that sin is a heavy kingdom. And those who are still in servitude to Satan bear a heavy load. That's why Christ says, come, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. The kingdom of sin is a kingdom of death, people. It has great sway over the earth. But Jesus brings truth, and those who accept that truth, their bondage to this world will cease. They will receive light and life in the person of Christ Jesus. That's why I think it says here in the psalm, at the very voice of God, the earth melts. You see, wherever truth is preached, evil will flee. Wherever light is shown, darkness will run away. I think that's why the psalmist here tells us in verse 7, makes this great proclamation, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
And because of that, we should rejoice. Because unlike other people, we have something to rely on. We don't have to rely on human actions. We don't have to rely on kings. We don't have to rely on any earthly kingdom outside of God because he's the Lord of hosts. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He makes us secure. He gives us tranquility. He nourishes us. He provides for us. He is our protector. There is no one above him and no one beside him. That is why he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But he's also our God. But we can never forget if he's our God and we want him to be our fortress, we must draw near to him. Look what he says in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Do you recognize that great distances uh, sometimes change the perception of something that we're visualizing? It'll make it more dim. But the closer that we come to it, our vision becomes clearer. It's also in the things of God, in the contemplation of our minds, if we don't draw near to him, we won't see his works clearly. We'll beckon here, come. That's the invitation, that's our first approach. Come and see the works of God how admirable they are, how honorable they are, how great they are, how if we call him, he will hear us, how if we cleave to the one that it creates us, he will protect us and provide for us, how if we can trust the one that has created the whole world, he can most definitely be trusted with our lives how we can marvel at all the things he's already accomplished. And if we didn't have such short memories, we would be in awe of what he's already done in our lives. This is the sovereign God. This is the one, but verse 9 says, he makes wars cease. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. This is our God, the one that can take the weapons of our enemies, that can break the bow, who can shatter the spear, the one that can make absolutely clear to us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Yes, weapons will be formed against us, but it'd be just like what Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That regardless of what rages against us, it shall not prevail. God gives us different weapons and bows and arrows and spears. He equips us with self-control and salvation and hope and faith and charity and prayer. I love it here when it says, he burns the chariots with fire. You see, chariots represent where we previously placed our trust. But God makes us, he does every. He does everything his own way. He makes us weak that we might be strong, that we may never boast, but that we are all called to the same understanding that we must be still and know that he is God. Look at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. You see, we didn't create God. God created us. We didn't form God. God formed us. This word exalted is a word room in Hebrew. 
It means to rise up, to be set up high, to become lawfully. God is saying, I understand how all the nations are raging against me who have not accepted my son, Jesus Christ. I see how they think they might be victorious in this moment. But don't be concerned. I will be exalted in all the earth. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that my son is Lord in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. I'm just asking you, don't wait till that moment. Because he's telling you, don't lose the context of the statement. Every knee shall bow. Every knee that bows was maybe a knee that never bowed in his whole life. But it's bowing now because he's been exalted. But once he's been exalted, it's too late to bow. You're being bowed. You're not bowing in worship. You're bowing because you have been captured by your own sin. Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw man unto me. So in our current tribulation, in our current fear, this is not a time for you and I as Christians to shrink back. It's a time to push forward. It's not a time for us to run away from God or run away from the assembly. There is no safety as it is in the center of God's will. He didn't give us fear that we were turned to the bondage of slavery. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-control. We can't miss this opportunity to show an unbelieving world our witness, our service, our loyalty, our devotion to our God. The fact that we know that God is our refuge and that he's a very present help in a time of trouble. Lastly, it says in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, we have this incredible assurance that we should not fear. We will not be disturbed. We should not shrink in a time of trouble because we have an invincible champion, one that has never failed, one that has lived for ages and ages, one that has a plan for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You know, I can't give you the answer to what we've been going through for the last year. All I can tell you is that God doesn't waste any effort. And if in this time he has brought us to a standstill that we might seek him, those of us who know him with our whole heart, and if those might seek him that do not know him, but they found that their chariots are on fire and everything that they have put their trust and their hope in has failed them, then this is a moment for both of us. A moment for us to draw closer to God and he will draw closer to us. A moment for those who do not know him as a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to come to know that he can be their refuge 
He is the only one that can protect them from the coming storm. He's the only one who can allow him, allow them to enter into this ark of safety, which is called the Church of Jesus Christ. I plead with each and every one of you in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ to find the meaning of this time and to find it in Christ Jesus, to be drawn closer and closer to him, even if you've never even thought about it before, to see how fragile everything is and that it all depends on one man that resides in heaven and not on one that resides in Washington. We can trust our God because he is our refuge and our strength. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just love and praise you. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for Christ Jesus riding a borrowed donkey into Jerusalem. We thank you for those who cried out, Hosanna. Lord, we thank you for even those unbelievers that tried to quiet them and said, Rabbi, tell your servants to be quiet. And Jesus says, if I would do that, the rocks would cry out. Lord, let us recognize we don't want any rocks crying out for us. Let us constantly proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He who was, he who is, and he who is to come has a key to our future and the future of the world. Let us trust him more than ever before. It is in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all. And all God's children said, Amen.